Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Well, what a great day. Everyone, man, everyone looks so nice. So many ladies in all your nice new Easter dresses. And the, traditionally, the biggest church crowd of the year. So exciting. We want to extend a big thank you to all of you who are here visiting this morning, or maybe we just haven't seen you in a while. We want to welcome you on this uh, beautiful Easter morning. Uh, when I was in, actually, I went to grade school all the way through high school uh, with a kid, uh, we'll call him Gary, because his name was Gary. And I remember... He told me one time, we were in high school, I think, at this point, or maybe junior high, but he told me that his family, and I kind of knew they didn't go to church, except he said, but we always go on Easter Sunday. He said, now, my dad doesn't go, but every year my mom makes it a point to take all of us kids, and there were five of them, to church on Easter. And she, he said, what she does every year about the week before Easter, she goes out, she buys all of us kids all these new Easter clothes. There are our good clothes. And we wear those to church on Easter, but we were, we were never allowed, we're never allowed to wear those to school or, or to play in or anything. They're our good clothes. And so because they only went to church on Easter, they didn't get a lot of use. And so my friend Gary, he always thought it was just kind of goofy that his mom would go to all this trouble every year and all this expense of five kids and uh, of, to buying all these clothes and to taking them to church on Easter Sunday when he said, apparently it's not important enough for us to go the rest of the year, so I just don't understand it. And I have pondered that question many times in my life, tried to analyze that answer. Why, why is Easter the biggest church crowd of the year? And I've come to this conclusion. This is strictly gospel according to Doug. Take it or leave it. I think some people come to church on Easter Sunday because most people, with very few exceptions, want to experience a resurrection one day. They want, most people want to go to heaven. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, go down on the corner downtown and take a survey. Who wants to go to hell? And you will be amazed at how few takers there really are. Most people want that to live in forever in that perfect existence called heaven. And that really is the great hope of Easter. Amen? The hope that we have in knowing that there's something that's so much better that awaits us one day. The great message of Easter is that Jesus has indeed conquered death, hell, and the grave. And because He has conquered death, we all have the promise of eternal life with Him in heaven. Everyone who accepts a relationship with Him. Amen? The reason that that is so important to all of us is because uh, it has everything to do with our heritage. We're all descendants of Adam and Eve. You're aware of that. They were created in the image of God to live forever. Had Adam and Eve not sinned, they would still be alive and well today. Living in that perfect environment that was created on earth. But when they sinned, everything changed. Everything changed changed. And how long did it change for? 
forever. They started to grow old. I'm sure they thought, man, what is going on here? I look old. I'm feeling old. I mean, it was coming on. And I'm sure they began to wonder, what's going to happen you know, when I die? Job, in the Word of God, was actually the first person to literally verbalize that question. Anyway, first one recorded in the Word, Job 14, 14, when Job said, if a man dies, will he live again? He was wondering. And he continued, he said, all the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. Now, this hope that Job had, couple thousand years before Jesus ever walked on planet earth was that if he died that he himself was going to be renewed and he had never heard he didn't know about the resurrection story of Jesus Christ in Daniel 12 2, Daniel said a little bit more he said multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awaken Daniel is talking about a resurrection here and we humans, we, we fall asleep in death and we're buried in the dust, but his word says we are going to awaken. He was confident of that long before the resurrection of Jesus. We're all going to die, but the question is, are we all going to awaken? The answer is yes. We're all going to awake. Isn't that great? It sounds pretty great unless you keep on reading there in Daniel. Then things take a little turn for the worse. He goes on to say that we're all going to awaken. He says, some will rise to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. John 5.28, Jesus himself said this. He said, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. He's talking about a resurrection. That's great, right? Not so fast. Those who have done good will rise to life. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Yo, you're all familiar. There's an old expression. There's two sides to every story, right? There's two sides to every argument. Of course, I'm usually right. Don't ask my wife about that, though. She may, because the truth is, she's normally right. And there is two sides. Friends, there is two sides to this resurrection story. One of those sides, a lot of times preachers tend to kind of maybe gloss over on Easter Sunday morning. We want to keep it glorious and all about the resurrection for people to heaven. The other side is sometimes ignored, but this morning I want to emphasize both sides of the resurrection because it is truth that applies to all of us. In the 16th chapter of Luke, there's a story that many of you are familiar with, the story of the rich man and, rich man and Lazarus. And as I, I want to read through this story, I want you to look for three different things. I want you to look for two different types of lifestyles. I want you to look at for two different types of deaths. 
And I want you to look for two different types of resurrections, all right? Beginning at verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat anything that fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his wounds. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So there's in this within this very short story, there are two distinctly different lifestyles. The rich man who lived in luxury, how often? Every day. And Jesus is painting a picture here of a guy who has absolutely everything that the world has to offer. He's caught the big brass ring that everyone, so many people in this world are all consumed with reaching, right? You know, the great clothes, incredible house, everything that money can buy, with just the exception he doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. The beggar, on the other hand, completely opposite life, covered with sores, longing to eat just even simply eat some scraps that might fall from the rich man's table. The beggar had absolutely nothing. No money, no decent clothes, no food to eat, but what he had, he had a relationship with God. And Jesus is emphasizing the contrast between these two men for a very good reason. Now, he's not telling us, some people have misinterpreted this whole story. He is not, Jesus is not telling us that all rich men are going to hell. And he's also not telling us that all poor people are going to heaven. Here is what he's saying. He's saying, if you have everything that this world has to offer, but you don't have God, you are not rich. You are stone broke poor. And he's saying, if you have nothing, 
I mean absolutely nothing that the world has to offer, but you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not poor. You are the pinnacle of wealth. You're at the top. Two different lives represented here as opposite as they could be, right? And then we find there, are, there were two different kinds of deaths in this story. Something important to note is this. The life that you live usually determines the death that you die. These two deaths are described here in verse 22. It says, The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died, and he was buried. You know, for the, for the poor man Lazarus, death came as a friend. It was an angel of mercy. Death was his friend. Death was a welcome visitor. I mean, his body was diseased. He had nothing to really look forward to in this physical life. Death to him was this incredible promotion. Instantly, everything became wonderful. But for the rich man, death did not come as a friend. It was the opposite, right? Death came as an enemy. Everything he had, he had here on earth. The clothes, the house, all the material things. None of those things that you can take with you, right? You know, Pastor Brothers, he'll be here in the second service. And uh, what a great founding pastor we have. Oftentimes, I heard him say, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer yet. And speaking of Pastor Brothers, I, at the beginning, I meant to recognize, you know, Easter is special to me because it marks the Sunday that I became senior pastor here at Calvary Temple 16 years ago. That was on an Easter Sunday. How many of you stand if you were here 16 years ago when I became senior pastor? Let me see who all's here. Wow, give these folks a hand. They... They have put up with a lot. Still here. And as a matter of fact, the people that have the most seniority of any other couple in this church, Alan and Betty Canodal. Right back here in the corner, by that's where they sit. If you want to know where they're at, they're right there every Sunday. And that's where they've been for over 20 years. What'd you say, Janice? Talked almost 30. Thank you. <laughs> Almost 30 years. Unbelievable. Well, as I was saying, I used to, many times I heard Pastor Brothers say, I've never yet seen a hearse hauling a U-Haul trailer because none of the stuff that we acquire is going with us, right? So therefore, when the moment of death came, the rich man became poor, this isn't a tough quiz. This is, this is fairly... The rich man became, and the poor man became... Oh, now, now we're cooking on all cylinders here. Good job. And all of that was due to the fact that there are two kinds of resurrection. Two different resurrections. Verse 23 shows us those two 
types of resurrections. It says, In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. We see those two different resurrections. One was raised to punishment. One was raised to glorious eternal life. The important fact here is this. According to God's word, we're all going to experience a resurrection from the dead, but we're going to be resurrected in, in one of two different ways. So it's important that we understand this. And in the 25th chapter of Matthew, Jesus himself tells us these two different resurrections. He tells us that they share one common thread. Both resurrections share one only one, one common thread is both of them last forever. I want you to say that word with me three times this morning. Forever, forever, forever. It's, it's not just going to be a long time. There's a difference, right? It's going to be forever. And I really think that we humans, all of us are included in this, I think we have a lot of trouble thinking in these infinite type of terms because literally everything that we have ever dealt with is temporary. Everything that we are currently dealing with is temporary. And anything that may be in our future that we have to deal with is temporary. Everything known to us is temporary. With the exception of doing something that makes your wife really, really angry, that's going to the grave with you, right, men? <laughs> Ten years can go by. You do something and whoosh, it's right there. Yeah, well, you know, last time, you blah, blah, blah. So that was 10 years ago. Well, I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> with the exception of those types of things, Everything is temporary. Amen? But we live in a world where we can change almost anything anytime we want. We're used to change. We're just not used to dealing with infinite things. You don't like your hairstyle? You change it, right? You don't like your car? You change it. You don't like your house? You change it. You don't like your spouse? You change it. Happens every day. And now we can add a new one. You don't like your sexual identity? You can change it. I'm telling you, we're running out of things that you cannot change in this world, right? But Jesus is... I'm not trying to slam anybody. I'm speaking the truth here. I'm not saying... Once we experience our personal resurrection, there's going to be no more changes. Changes are done at that point. Now, how many of you will agree with me this morning when I say this? If something is going to last forever, you better make sure that you like it. That makes sense, don't you think? If there's something that we know is going to last forever, boy, let's make sure we like it. 
It's going to be that way forever and ever. Now, some people get all bent out about a bad haircut. Listen, you know what they say. You know the difference between a good haircut and a bad haircut? About two weeks. That's it. So in light of that, let us compare these two eternities. Hell is a place of darkness, we know. If you enjoy complete darkness void of any light forever and ever, you're going to love hell. Matthew 25.30 speaks of hell as being thrown into darkness. Hell is going to be a place of darkness. There is no light because the Spirit of the Lord is not present. There is no light there. Pain. Oh, how many of you love pain? If you enjoy pain that is so intense it causes you to gnash your teeth, clench your fists, once again, you're going to love hell. The Bible describes eternal pain. And there'll be no rest in hell. How many of you enjoy rest? You know, when we're kids... We have to be uh, you know, threatened with bodily harm to take a nap. Because there's just too many other good things in the world we could be doing. You hit about 50, and I mean, you're willing to pay money for nap time. Here's 100 bucks. I just want some time to take a nap. Who knows what I'm talking about? The older we get, the more we appreciate rest, Right? We gain this appreciation over our life. Hell is a state of unrest. There is no rest. A place of discomfort forever. And the last thing, and this has got to be the worst part. Here's the worst part. Hell is a place of no hope. You know, if you only had to go to hell for like 10 years, you know, there'd, there'd be a little hope, right? You know, you'd hear people talking down there and say, well, what you in for? Well, you know, I got 10 to 20, but I think I can be out in five on good behavior. You might hear stuff like that. And someone would say, oh, well, hey, there's hope for you. You just hang in there. That's that way you'd have some hope. Or, or, or maybe you got 100 years. You're a pretty nasty person. Maybe you got 100 years. Hope would be dimmer, but it would still be there, Right? Maybe you were just one of the biggest jerks in the world. You got a thousand years. Hope is going to be really dim. But let me tell you this. In the scope of forever, really dim hope is way better than no hope. You following this? See, all that stuff I just talked about, that's just wishful thinking because the truth is in hell, there will be no hope Forever. It is so, I mean, it, what we're talking about, I'm not trying to be, bring anybody down, but I'm telling you, it should create a heaviness in your chest, the, the thought of those who will have no hope forever. It's, it's the worst thing any of us could possibly ever endure. But in Revelation 22, John is privileged to glance into the future of heaven. And he tells us a few things. He said, there will be no more night. There'll be no need because the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord is going to give light and will reign forever and ever. 
Heaven's going to be a place of this glorious light. Light is a good thing, isn't it? Have you ever had to endure one of those long, long nights where you're trying to get to sleep, you just cannot get to sleep, and it is a long, long night? You know, maybe you're sick, maybe you're just restless, or uh, maybe, maybe there's a baby keeping you awake. Maybe you're just worried and stressed out over some situation, but man, whatever the case, it is a long night. How many of you have these nights and there's absolutely no good excuse whatsoever? You just can't get your brain to shut off, you know? And like you get mad at yourself, Wait, just stop thinking about stuff and go to sleep. You're not really stressed, you just can't shut down for, for whatever reason, and it's a long, long night. And you lay there in bed. You can't wait for the night to end because somehow just the light of a new day, even if you don't get any sleep, just the light of a new day brings some comfort and hope. Who's been there before? In heaven, there's going to be eternal light because God is our eternal source. Revelation 21.4 says there's going to be no more sorrow. Who's ready for that? No more. He's going to wipe away every tear. No more death. No mourning or pain. Heaven is going to be a place of complete hope. The exact opposite of hell where there's no hope. This is a place, it's all about hope forever. And it's never going away. Fulfilled hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ who rose from the dead on that Easter Sunday morning. Tell you what an incredible scene that had to have been, right? I mean, if I could go back in history and pick any day, I've I've tossed it back and forth. You know, I'd like to see the birth of Jesus. I'd like to see uh, Noah's Ark. I'd like there's a lot. I'd like to see the crossing uh, of the Red Sea. There's a lot of things I'd like to see. But if I had to boil it down to one, I'd have to go with the morning that Jesus walked out of that tomb. I mean, the earth shook. Those two guards—they were so absolutely scared. And don't you know these were a couple of tough dudes, man. They didn't send the little scrawny guys over to protect the tomb. You two little guys, you go watch the tomb. They took the biggest, baddest dudes they had and said, you go watch this tomb because we're not taking a chance on someone stealing that body out of there and then coming up with some crazy story. Now, you get over there and you watch that and don't let anything happen. And they get so scared they faint. And when they wake up, that stone is rolled away. And buddy, don't you know, they are sweating blood. I mean, they are. They thought they were scared before. Now they're scared about what's going to happen to them. They completely failed in their duty. They don't even know how it happened. That stone is rolled back. And let, and let me say something about that stone. There's a lot of people that think God rolled that stone away so Jesus could come marching out, right? Not true at all. The truth is that Jesus was long gone at the time that stone rolled away. God rolled the stone away so everyone could see he was already gone. And those guards were scared to death. I saw a funny cartoon. Anyway, I found it amusing. Uh, and I hunted and hunted. I couldn't find it anywhere on the web, so I'm just going to tell you about it. It's a great cartoon. The two Roman guards, they're standing there beside the tomb, kind of shaking. They're very worried about what's going to happen to them for failing in their duties. 
And in the next panel, one of them shrugs their shoulders and says, hey, look, man, you know, in a hundred years from now, who's going to remember? Well, it's been over a hundred years. We still remember, don't we? It's wonderful to remember that victory over death, hell, and the grave, that it's ours also because of what Jesus did for us. I want to invite my wife Janet to join me to sing a I love this song at Easter time. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. Go ahead, guys.
So on Easter Sunday, once again, people have come to hear that story about a great stone rolled away, apostles who ran to find an empty tomb, to hear about how despair can now be replaced by eternal hope because Jesus has conquered death. And all of that is absolutely, positively true, but Sometimes I, I fear that people go home feeling all is well with their soul because they came and heard a sermon that was about hope and an empty grave for everyone, forever. But maybe they missed the other side of that story. I don't want to be a preacher who sends somebody home thinking something great is in their life when it's actually something maybe there needs to be some conviction. That's why I have this job. That's why he gave me the job. So the, this morning, if you know that your life is headed in a wrong direction, Jesus, in His great mercy, is giving you this glorious Easter Sunday morning to literally change the direction of your eternity. Not just your life. Your life our lives are no big deal. Eternity is a very, very, very big deal. Amen? He's giving us the opportunity to change the course of eternity. Man, Jesus loves you more than anyone else in this world. He has hurt more than any of us have ever experienced hurt, and He doesn't want anyone to experience the hopelessness of hell. He wants everyone, He wants all of us to experience this glorious eternity with Him in heaven. That's why He went to the cross for us. That's why He rose again. And Jesus is saying, I'm right here. I know who you are. I know what you are. And I'm ready to extend any forgiveness you need in your life. Because I love you so much. I don't care what you've done in the past. I want you to spend forever with me. Wow, that's unbelievable. But you're the one that has to take the first step. Each of us, we have to be the one to take that first step. There's two resurrections. One's very glorious. One is a horrific resurrection. But once again, the decision is completely ours. The decision is yours because, as I've said the last couple of weeks, God gave each of us this incredible power to choose. No one's going to end up in hell because someone else put them there. It will be strictly of choices that, all of, that we make in our own lives. And no one can ever keep you from experiencing an eternity so glorious that words can't describe because you have the power to choose it if you want. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.